The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello, you're tuned in to Cambridge 105 Radio and welcome to the Cambridge Film Show, your fortnightly frolic through films big and small with our expert ramblers, for lack of a better word. So lean back as we enter cool autumn and get the skinny on what is or potentially isn't worth your time this week. My name's Lorcan O'Neill and with me today is Ashley Whitaker. Hello. Vicky Eyre. Hello. Matthew Taylor. Hi. Luke Irwin. Good afternoon. And Spencer Duro. Hello. After, well, several months of leaning on streaming releases, we're proud to come back to a few more big big screen efforts um, as the industry seems to be recovering from long COVID. Uh, on the slate today, Saoirse Ronan and Sam Rockwell provide more than amateur dramatics and murder mysteries see how they run. Teenagers turn the tables on some high school miscreants and do revenge. David Cronenberg finally returns to give us some delectable body horror in Viggo Morden- with Viggo Mortensen in Crimes of the Future. We cast a scrupulous eye to Gen Z in the youthful horror comedy Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. We follow the tribulations of a former pop star with Ed Screen in I Used to Be Famous. And we'll cap off the show as Robert Zemeckis continues his streak of both Tom Hanks vehicles and motion capture animation in Disney's remake of Pinocchio. So without further ado, the show must go on. Victim's name is Leo Kopernik, sir. Seems he was killed in the costume store. And then he was deposited here. Staged, so to speak. Sorry, sir. How much longer do you intend to hold us all hostage? Or is that the idea? Gather all the suspects and interrogate each of us in turn until the mystery's solved? Marvin Cochranar's overrated playwright. Celebrated playwright? Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I can't read my own handwriting. We have a cavalcade of acting talent and see how they run. Part comedy, part drama, all whodunit. The film stars Saoirse Ronan as a spunky upstart constable paired with an irascible inspector played by Sam Rockwell who are charged with investigating a murder on the 100th performance of Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap. Charm and intrigue abound in this 50s period mystery ripe with acting chops including Adrian Brody, David Oyelowo, Ruth Warren and Harris Dickinson to name but a few. Matt. Um, a few years following the hit uh, and the Cambridge Film Show favourite, Knives Out, uh, was this eclectic mix of characters fun? I would say this film really doesn't stack up well to something like Knives Out. For me, Knives Out really reinvigorated the whodunit genre, which I'm not a big fan of. But watching Knives Out, I was thrilled, I was amused. And then when it all came together, I thought, yeah, that's actually a really cool, engaging mystery. Whereas for this, I feel like when the central mystery is revealed, you could have just rolled a dice for which character it was yeah. and rolled another dice for why they did it. And it didn't really leave me thinking, oh, yeah, I could have figured that out myself or, oh, I should have looked a bit more closely and spotted the clues. It did just feel kind of arbitrary to me. So compared to Knives Out, for me, it's a no. Oh, well, Vicky, how do you feel? Because without getting into spoilers, as Sam Rockwell forbids us in the in the film's <laughs> denouement, um, were you satisfied with the film's conclusion, unlike Matt? Um, I actually completely agree with Matt. Um, I am actually a fan of the whodunit genre of itself, and like you said, Knives Out really invigorated that, and it was a massive comeback. Um, I haven't seen Agatha Christie's Mousetrap. I'm now interested in seeing it. However, the one word I can describe this film as is pleasant. I just felt it was just... That was my first reaction coming out of it. I didn't have any strong emotions either or. 
I had a good time. I probably won't remember a lot of it. Um, quite simple, even with um, a cast this big, no one was used to their full potential. Um, Harris Dickinson, actually, as uh, Dickie Attenborough, did stick out to me. Um, probably the only one. And saying that with Saoirse and Sam Rockwell in the cast is astounding to me. But I really didn't enjoy either of these people in these roles. And Saoirse was basically playing like this lovely character as well. Almost a bit very true to herself, as you kind of see. But um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the best run of the films for me. Well, yeah, as as like you've said, I've heard a lot of people say that it's, it's kind of a comfort watch. Um, Luke, did you did you think the film was all a bit low stakes? Um, I think low stakes is fine. I think the comparisons to Knife Out is unfair. It's like comparing a crime film to The Godfather. When the, <laughs> bar, when the bar's that high, um, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. But I saw this more of a comedy and a commentary on the murder mystery genre. The film is utterly preposterous. And I, I, I love this film. It's preposterous, but it knows what it's doing. There's a moment in the film where one of the characters uh, says, how would Ag- Agatha Christie like it if someone perverted one of her stories for entertainment? Mm. It's constantly winking at the camera, and it's knowing that it's not really a murder mystery. I have to say that for a large portion of the film, I was going along with the mystery, and then it kind of fizzles out in the end a little bit, I would say. I think it's a shame that it sort of fumbles some of the core aspects I don't think it does a good enough job of introducing its main characters and then it doesn't seem particularly interested in why the person who did the murder um, was there. But I I saw this film as a comedy and I thought it was very good fun. Well, Spence, uh, we can't touch on a bit there. It is very meta. It's like... It's got like the Shane Black kind of quippy quality deconstructionist yeah. thing to it. Did you? Did it, were you? Did, does this does this film maybe set itself up for failure by seeing being so deconstructionist, like asking you to poke at it? Um, well, look, I was just gonna say that I agree with Matt. I think I'm more of in agreement with himself. He, it's a little bit BBC doc, docudrama, and um, Sam Rockwell does pull off an English accent. I feel, um, and it's it's sort of trying to be a a bit. Um, uh, Wes Anderson. Did you guys get that feeling? A bit Wes Anderson, but not quite making it. Mm. Um, and but you know, I I thought it was a an, a light and quite a nice nice film to watch. Did it blow my mind? No. But do we? Well, what do we think was the point of the? Because the mousetrap is still going. Um, is what was the purpose of the fifties period setting? Do we think? Because that's a lot of effort to go through. Well, I believe that the reason it's based around the mousetrap is because the writer of the film originally wanted to make a film version of the mousetrap and was prevented by the clause that Agatha Christie put in place Mm. in order to prevent it being filmed until six months after it finished and then obviously never finished. Uh, I did just want to jump in and talk about the meta aspect again of this because it does do a lot of very meta things. Sort of characters will say, oh, it would be incredibly cliched if we had a flashback here and then they have a flashback. Or characters will say, oh, wouldn't it be you know, very derivative if we then cut to three weeks later and then cut to three weeks later? And I feel like if you're going to do that and get away with it, the central story and plot has to really work with the meta stuff as a sort of fun side dressing. The meta can't be the whole movie, which I feel like it was in this case. Uh, There's another movie out, Clark's Three, which is very meta, but I think is a great kind of stoner comedy first and foremost, 
with the meta aspects then supporting that rather than being the whole focus of the film itself. Um, well, for, the, for those of us that uh, like the film a little more, I think, Luke, you're probably the, the, the warmest on it. Um, were there, there seemed to me to be a lot of plot threads that kind of went nowhere, namely uh, an angry Italian gentleman throughout the film. And there's a few other things. Did, did we feel like everything was wrapped up neatly, at least, in the end? I don't think that's necessarily the purpose of a film such as this. I think it's played as a shaggy dog story. It's played as a love letter to these mysteries. And I think the reason that the 50 setting works in another sense is that it shows these genuine, authentic touches of a film that loves the classic um, murder mystery stories. There's so much of The Thin Man, if anyone remembers that film from uh, with William Powell. There's a... I would be shocked if it wasn't influenced by it to some extent because it, that film was about a sort of semi-alcoholic detective who's sort of solving a crime while bumbling through it. And in that film, there are regular touches to this guy just sort of going through the motions of being a detective based on what he knows about detective. Um, and in all of the films, I think about five films, it always ends with all the characters in a drawing room at the end, and he's sort of bumbling through to be, till he gets to the, the, the mystery. I think Luke's won me round already. Um, and I just think, I think there's so much love, loving elements to it. I think the set design is beautiful. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's making a film about 1950s detective stories um, with all the flaws that go with that. I think if we talk about the flaws of obviously what Agatha Christie has been through in the past few years and we talk about the revamp of the, you know, Murder on the Orient Express and uh, Death on the Nile earlier last year, this is probably a better take on it. And like Spencer mentioned, it's like the director is kind of doing a Wes Anderson. Um, he's got definitely a lot of his hard-hitting cast in there. You know, you've got Adrian Brody as well, as well as um, Saoirse. And it is, it is a good modern take. I think it's better done than what has been done by um, uh, the Pirat. Sorry about that one. Uh, but yeah, um, I feel like this is a better take on it and it is bringing like a, a modern uh, take on Agatha Christie and it may be just getting people more interested in the whodunit. But I feel like um, maybe this could have been a more fun Christmas film. I feel like it's a bit early yeah, in the year for I this agree. to be done. Um, and maybe I would have enjoyed it more if, if it had done that. But uh, yeah, it was uh, all in all, it's, it's a better take on what's been done recently, but it's still... It, it doesn't hit it all the way out for me. Well, the, the cast is really fantastic in this. You've got to give credit to the whoever assembled this cast. For me, the personal standout was actually Tim Key in a small role yeah. as the chief of police. Yeah. Even though he is really just doing his normal Tim Key awkward stare thing, he, he really kind of gets the tone of this and I think really worked as a character. If, if all of the other cast had been up to that level, I think I would have had a lot more fun with this movie. Oh, I think I think Saoirse Ronan was superb as well. I, will, I think um, it would be remiss not to mention. Um, well, that, let's not um, forget uh, Moaning Myrtle's cameo at the end, which <laughs> I think stole this show for a lot of people. Um, before, we, before we kind of wrap it up, um, obviously there's a, there's a big cast, but did Saoirse and Sam Rockwell have any kind of chemistry? Do they carry the film in that way at all? I, I really want to say no. I was quite disappointed by Sam Rockwell. I mean, he's so good at playing... Yeah. zany characters yeah. that when he was playing the straight man he just kind of faded away into the background for me uh, I was really unimpressed I think it might be his my least favourite performance of his mm. and he didn't dance once as well <laughs> uh, see how they run a certificate 12A and it's playing at all three Cambridge cinemas now we're going to back to high school to let out some aggression
I spent 17 years meticulously curating the perfect life. I had the perfect friends, the perfect boyfriend. Maybe you could send me something to keep me company. But you know where all of that got me? Absolutely destroyed. Max ruined my life. He'll never get away with this. Hey, do you want a ride? I know what it's like. Carissa Jones, she started a nasty rumor about me. She told everyone that I tried to hold her down and kiss her. Turned me into this predator. She destroyed me. Uh, Strangers on, the, on a Train by Way of Heathers, um, Do Revenge tells the story of popular girl Drea, played by Camila Mendez, who forms an unlikely bond with outcast Eleanor, played by Maya Hawke, uh, as they scheme to get back at the people who have unjustly wronged them in the pantheon of American high school. Um, Vicky, did, you, did this uh, satiate any lingering teenage angst? Um, absolutely. As uh, If you've listened before, I'm a big fan of the 90s teen movie. Um, I'm also a massive fan of Sarah Michelle Gellar, who happens to have mm. quite a potent role in this. Um, I feel like this film overall is like the passing of the torch from those great 90s revenge films um, of awful teenagehood. Um, American teenagehood and passing it over to a new cast which is honestly astounding because this cast is it's pretty much picked an actor from each of the big going teen shows you've got at the minute you've got Cami, uh, Camilla Mendez from Riverdale you've got Maya Hawke from Stranger Things Austin Abrams from Euphoria and um, a few from 13 Reasons Why and it really is a, a cherry picking of the best um, there is and it's going on to uh, develop what is a great, great film. Um, we often remark about um, the kind of uh, how a lot of Netflix originals can feel rushed or underproduced. Yeah. Um, does this one kind of rise above? No, this is so much different from any other Netflix original film I've seen in quite a while. Uh, it has a full, a full storyline. It's got the plot. It's got a twist. It's got a very great, like completed ending that you feel satisfied. And I actually feel it's got a two-hour runtime as well. I feel like Netflix are like pushing the boat out with that runtime. Um, it's normally like a cheap and cheerful, maybe not cheap, but like hour and 30. And this was like two hours of, I couldn't get enough of it. I just wanted to keep going. And um, yeah, I think this is probably one of the best things they've done in so long. And they've definitely pushed the boat out for it. And especially with the soundtrack, like they have, they've paid some money because it's got all the hard hitters of Phoebe Bridges in there as well. It's, um, it's probably going to be my top five of the year, really. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm watching it. <laughs> well, in terms of, uh, you mentioned a great soundtrack. Uh, mm. Another film that came out recently that was uh, noted for its soundtrack was um, Thor Love and Thunder. Oh, no. Um, but the, um, the director of this, Jennifer Caden Robinson, mm. um, her biggest credit to date has been as the co-writer of Thor Love and Thunder. Um, did she bring a fre freshness to high school politics? Did it feel relevant? And it felt relevant. It felt, um, obviously, when you watch a, a teenage film nowadays, there's a lot to go with it about the social politics of the world um, that is obviously brought up. Um, but it's not overdone. It's not um, It's not done in a way that you feel like they're taking the mick in any... It's, it's really done quite well. And um, Camilla Mendez pulls that off incredibly well. She plays Drea, the main character, along with Maya Hark. Maya Hawk and Imbalance, they are just two forces um, that are like, they just keep it all in tone rather than making a farce out of anything until it comes to Austin Abrams who pulls up the farce level and he's great at doing that, especially if you've seen him in Euphoria. Um, how does it how does it rank with other um, kind of uh, say mean spirited kind of high school films like Mean Girls or Heathers? Well, even, um, I mean, if you're going to go that route, I mean, that was... 
it is the kind of same uh, level of heightened emotions throughout all of it. But I was just going to relate it to Bodies, 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 which we have on the show as well. Um, two very mean-spirited teenage films, both great entities. Obviously, Bodies goes for a more horror aspect. But I think this is the showing of what is to come for teenage films. And we've talked about recently how... Um, Ashley was saying normally that teenage films, uh, when she watches them now, they're much more nicer in tone compared to the films that she was watching growing up. Um, and you can sign, kind of see what we're showing teenagers now. I feel like this is a good take on something that is both nice, but also keeping the mean spirit there for the newer generation. Yeah, we'll talk about this more with Bodies, 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 I think. But was it yeah. was the film more kind of um, having a go or celebrating kind of young culture at the moment? Celebrating young culture, 100%. They are great and the fashion in this is amazing and the everything to go along with it the attitudes of these kids that obviously the actors playing them aren't kids they're around about my age but um, uh, they're really showing it well but obviously this is done in like a rich preppy school that has an organic farm and you know a, a newspaper and all of all of that kind of stuff it's not relatable in any sense of the word but it's it's good and also uh, Sophie uh, Sophie Turner makes a great little spot role in this and I'm obsessed with her in, like it's it's a good film for young stars definitely wonderful so it's in Vicky's top 5 potentially by the end of the year uh, Do Revenge is a certificate 15 and it's streaming on Netflix next up Long Live This Strange New Flesh it is time to stop seeing it is time to listen A new world opens up. You afraid of a little emotion? Let's retrace the music. Borrowing the title uh, of his very first feature film, legendary boundary-pushing filmmaker David Cronenberg is back with Crimes of the Future. Eight years after his last feature and 23 years after his last gruesome horror, he returns to the fray in this story of Saul Tenser, a performance artist specializing in open surgery in a future where pain is a thing of the past, but duplicity is ever in favor. Viggo Mortensen is joined by Leah Sedu, Kristen Stewart, and Scott Speedman to round out the cast of this mind-bending thriller. Luke, um, often when filmmakers return to a genre that made them famous after an extended hiatus, it doesn't always work out for the best. How does Cronenberg fare? Um, I am a huge Cronenberg fan. I love The Fly, I love Videodrome. And watching Crimes of the Future was like watching someone like me trying to make a David Cronenberg film. You can see all the bits in there that, you know, all, you know, like there's weird stuff, there's people in dark rooms, it's very gothic, there's, you know, body parts where they shouldn't be, but it just doesn't feel like a David Cronenberg film in many respects. I feel like he's, this is a combination of those early body horror films with more of his art house stuff, where you have long conversations of people talking about themes and things, and I wanted more weird stuff. There's, okay. there's one sequence where there's a man with ears all over his body dancing, mm. and I wanted more scenes like that. I wanted Ear Man to come back. Okay. Um, Vicky, uh, David Cronenberg's son, uh, Brandon, I think mm. it is, um, he recently had a, a sleeper hit with um, Possessor that was released on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Um, and that, that film was, like I say, very successful. Um, and it feels like this is kind of an afterthought after maybe his son's success. Um, do you think, do you think uh, Cronenberg may have 
kind of lost touch with his audience with this one? No, not at all. I completely disagree with Luke. Um, so I am also a big Cronenberg fan, but I would rather go... I like that you mentioned Video Drone, but this is um, completely down the route of existence. Um, you've got the like organs that you can play with. You've got these this insane hollow empty world um and then you've got these dominating characters um Viggo Morgenstern and Leah Sadu and Kristen Stewart completely I think come across in this film and and rule it and I I don't think he's lost his touch at all with this I know that that's a common saying but it was just so potent and the chemistry was there and I don't think um, it had enough, I think it had enough of whatever he wanted to give across um, Ian Man for me was like mentioned in the film like an afterthought he wasn't really um, anything, he was like a show a showman rather than what they are which is like raw and emotional and it's it's great I, I had a really good time with this um, I, 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 I quite liked this film because I, I found it quite understated uh, to the point I'm not entirely sure what was going on for certain parts of it um, but I like that it's more ambiguous and open to interpretation but was, was there enough story here? Yeah, uh, yeah, I believe so. I feel like, um, like you said, not knowing certain parts of it, you definitely did not know what world you were entering to within the first 20 minutes or so. And then it's kind of laid out with you, but not in a way that it's, make, it's taking fun. It's it's in a way that's like, oh, I actually get where it's going now. I understand. He, I think they wanted to settle you into the world first, and then he gave you to the context of what was actually happening in quite a clever, clever storyline way. And then he filled it with these characters that... Um, I feel like a truly people that he's wanted to put in his films quite a while and then added some fun side girls like the life form um the life form's been seen in like a few of his films and this is something that like tends to I feel like it developed his ideas from earlier back then for that. Uh, Luke, how do you feel? Was there, was there enough meat in the story um, here? I feel like it took a very long time to get going. Actually, I didn't mm. hate the film. I know I was quite negative in my first comment. I found it frustrating and it wasn't what I was hoping it would be. Mm. But there's certainly a lot of interesting meat there, no pun intended. Um, that it does set up this, there's a very interesting sort of opening sequence with a boy eating a plastic waste paper basket. It sets this world up mm. and has a lot of interesting things in it. And then it felt like it ended just, just as it was getting into a, a point where... Um, you were moving into a next level of the story, and that's I, I like that conclusion though because it didn't get, it let you think for yourself and like what was about to happen um, in a way that isn't you know the audiences we need to spell it all out for them. It, it, the whole film was you taking your take on it, and I feel like that's the same with how Cronenberg has always worked. It's never been just simply laid out for you like that. I think this was a good fulfilling ending for what could be extended upon, but. Um, I think this is Cronenberg back with a bang, but I know that some people may disagree with me. I, I think it's more of like an evolution of Cronenberg. I feel like it's sort of somewhere in between like a Maps to the Stars and his mm. earlier stuff. Um, well, he's um, he's pretty much synonymous, at least in the 80s and 90s, definitely, with um, kind of psychosexuality and... Uh, the 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 body the body horror kind of evolved into like this kind of psychosexuality thing with um, video drum and crash and dead ringers. Um, was did this film tickle our morbid curiosity? Did we feel like we were going into somewhere we shouldn't be? I mean, it certainly spells out when Leia Sadu says after a sequence in which Viggo Mortensen's having a very fun time having surgery, and then Leia Sadu says says to him, "Surgery is the new sex," as if it wasn't 
entirely obvious in the sequence <laughs> that just preceded it. That was that was Kristen Stewart's line. Um and oh, she yes, and she pulls it off fantastically well. Um and I feel like Kristen Stewart is a good counterpart to two people. So Viggo Morgenstern and Lisa do have this insane connection on camera. And I, I feel like any role I've seen Lisa do and chemistry wise, um, she's been that way. She's been the object of your eyes, especially mm. in Bond mm. uh, later last year. It was just, I, she's been dominating the screen and she always brings that across. But Kristen Stewart is this, you know, understated um um, actress when it comes to putting those emotions across on screen I would say um, she has a good ring of films where it's hard to see but um, this is uh, the sexiest I've ever seen her and, um, and that's saying something because it, it's obviously this is an insane world for it to come across in but that's just Cronenberg and I feel like she works really well with what he was ever trying to do and um, I think the the sexuality of this film and the horror just goes so well into his opus. It's, I, I feel like it's it's rare to see a film that's uh, so heavy on the like speculative side and the the world building where it seems like the premise came before the characters and any, anything else. Um, uh, the film hasn't been overly well regarded by audiences. Do you think this kind of story is just? to alienating to people who haven't had opportunities to see this kind of story in a while? Yeah, I mean, this perhaps goes back to the fact that Cronenberg is going back to the kinds of films that he was making 40 years ago, where when a film like this is released now, it just feels so unlike anything that's being mm. released. And he's continuing to do some of these sort of practical effects. There's a... Viggo Mortensen has this weird bone share that he eats from, and it's, all, it's a little bit clunky and practical with him sort of writhing around. Yeah. And that works in a film like, you know, when you're watching The Fly or Videodrome in the late 80s, that's what films look like. And when you look at it now, you feel like it's a film out of time. Mm. Um, I th yeah, I think, I think the film feels a little too clean for me. It was a little too minimalist and clean for that, for that kind of uh, tone. Um, there's... So there's there's lots going on thematically. So you've got the idea of surgery as a kind of social aesthetic. You've got... Uh, returning to Cold War paranoia. What do we think Cronenberg was trying to say with this one? Um, Just to throw you all in it. I, d I don't know if he was really trying to say much apart from, hi, I'm still here and I'm good at what I do. Uh, I, I, can't, I didn't take any kind of relevant context away from this apart from this was a good story that I haven't seen in a while. But I am aware that people that haven't been introduced to Cronenberg, you know, because he hasn't released anything in so long, um, maybe it hasn't hit the newer audiences that it was going to hit or like develop a new audience um, which hopefully would have carried on like the Cronenberg uh, word but uh, yeah uh, it's just a good story and that, that's all I can take away from it I guess it's new and interesting and I haven't seen it in a while but it may be a bit dated are you all right yeah. it could be a bit dated I would, yeah, I would say the themes are not prescient specifically they're the same kinds of themes that we see time and again with Cronenberg as the body as a site of horror and pleasure as sort of the where those things meet he's done he's done it before and he's done it again yeah and you know this film's new and it's in the cinema and people are going to watch it oh hopefully um, yeah one hopes um but yeah is he's not doing anything remarkably different than he's done with his earlier better ones mm. i would argue well, Crimes of the Future, it's definitely uh, one to ponder based on this conversation. Um, it's a well-earned certificate 18 and it's playing at the Arts Picture House. This is Cambridge 105 Radio. 
Whether it's Cambridge United, City or Histon Town, From the Terraces brings you reaction as we follow all our local teams. In the main, to savour those moments and to create memories for supporters and, and players is a major thing for us. And delighted that we're connecting with the fans in the way that we are. Delighted that we were able to celebrate in that way because they're the sort of moments that stay with you forever. From the Terraces with Tim Armitage, Sunday at 1 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen live on Radio Player. Cambridge for Ukraine volunteers are currently working closely with the University of Cambridge to provide accommodation for scholars from Ukraine. The University of Cambridge has set up the Ukrainian Academic Support Scheme, which aims to bring to the UK up to 20 postgraduate research students and academics from Ukraine, irrespective of nationality, to continue their studies and research in Cambridge for a period between 6 to 12 months. We're looking for people to host one or more academics or postgraduate research students from Ukraine for a minimum of six months. The hosts will receive £350 per calendar month for up to 12 months from the government. If you'd like to receive more information about the scheme, please visit cambridgeforukraine.uk slash host. That's cambridge, the number four, ukraine.uk slash host. There's something for everyone at Cambridge's most exciting venue, the Town & Gown Pub & Theatre. Housed on Market Passage in the Old Art Cinema Building, the Town & Gown combines a pub experience with a theatre experience. We host the best of professional fringe, cabaret and comedy nights in our intimate 100-seater theatre. The up-close and personal kind of performances that create a truly unique experience. Our menu is contemporary British pub food, featuring pub classics and international twists on British comfort food. We offer casual dining in our main bar, formal dining in our dining areas and a pre-theatre dining package for theatre-goers. To check out our menus and program of theatre and events, visit townandgown.co.uk or better still, just pop in and see us on Market Passage. You're with Cambridge 105 Radio. You're listening to Cambridge, the Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio and we're halfway through our fortnightly coverage of all films great and small here in the studio. Now, they're here for a good time, not a long time. Guys, I get so stressed out every time we play this. Someone always ends up crying. <laughs> so how do you play? If you draw the piece of paper that has the X on it, you are the murderer. Everyone else has to avoid being killed. A vivacious group of wealthy 20-somethings retreat to a family mansion for some party games to die for in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Breakout star of Borat 2, Maria Bakalova, Amanda Stenberg, uh, Amelda Stenberg of The Hunger Games, and Saturday Night Live's own Pete Davidson star in this poking horror comedy that holds a mirror, or should I say selfie, to the lifestyles of the rich and useless. Um... Spencer, who is this movie for? It's a very good question. Um, I, I originally, when I saw the trailer, I thought, okay, it's for for teens and for sort of, you know, young people in their young twenties. It's absolutely not. Um, I think it's for everyone. Um, I, yeah, is that is that a cop out to say everyone? What um, do you think everyone would be? Uh, interested like, or get a payoff out of it? Yeah, I do. I. I, I I'll I'll circle around that because um, I think parents um, are you know I think they it's probably nice for them to see how their children might have been 
mm. acting or you know behaving um but it's satir i mean the whole purpose of the film from, from what i can see is it's satirizing gen z and it's sort of um it's like subtly poking fun at a young audience members at the same time as characters within it um which is quite risk but it, i think it pulled off in my opinion. I, I wouldn't describe what it was doing as subtle, but <laughs> all that, I agree with you. Yeah. Well, Luke, did you, did you find it's a horror comedy? Did you find it scary? Did you find it funny? Um, I found it funny. Didn't find it particularly scary, but that's sort of the way it is with comma horror, com, horror comedy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Easy for you to say. Always have to sacrifice one or the other, and this was certainly leaning more towards being a comedy than a horror. Um, and in terms of who the audience is for, I mean, this is a film about social media. It, you know, it yeah. might not seem yeah. like it from the premise, but it's a mm. film that's all about social media and it sacrifices story um, to develop that theme. And I think one of the weaknesses of the film is that there's not really a ton of story. The characters aren't particularly well developed. I mean, it's 90 minutes and it goes right into the action. Yeah. You don't get much character development before the bodies start falling onto the floor. Um, I don't um, think that's a bad thing. Well, it's uh, the film's released by A24, which is like a, a distributor that kind of became a stealth hit whenever they just kind of they just started releasing nothing but really quality films. Eventually, that has to fade, and they have to start releasing some duds. Vicky, was this a dud? No, not at all. Um, so, I feel like this cast is like a lot of them are new. Like I know it's it's weird. Like a lot of the teenage cast, um, I hadn't heard of half of them. Obviously, you've got the hard-hitting Amanda Sternberg from, you know, Hunger Games. But then you shove in Pete Davison as well, and you just bring all that modern audience to it. This, um, like, it is a horror comedy. Uh, it is scary in moments, but it is hilarious in others. Um, but the real standout of this whole thing is Rachel Sennett. I think if this, this film can't be a dud at all because she stars in it and she brings so much energy to the screen... Um, she broke out with Shiva Baby and now this is like the perfect counterpart of a role for her. She just, the energy is incredible and she brings this like the cast to a level which keeps it heightened throughout the whole film. I honestly felt exhausted when I'd finished this film and it, it's it, it's designed for that, like they, you live the night with them. Mm. You are in this mansion with them in the dark, playing this game, turning on each other. Um, obviously social media is a presence in here and I, I literally wanted to chuck my phone across the room afterwards I was like oh my god I can't believe I've lived through this and mm. but that was it's designed to do and mm. it, it is it, it's just not a dud in any sense of the world it's 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 excellent I would say yeah uh, well a, a lot of people would say Gen Z is probably uh, a bit of an easy target but maybe after COVID and lockdowns um, maybe not <laughs> have a bit a bit more sympathy for them um, but d does this film Matt uh, ridicule or are you supposed to be engaged with the characters and care about them or is it just kind of a, a point and laugh kind of thing I think Gen Z do take quite a beating here, and I think I would have to disagree with Spencer. I don't think this movie is for everyone. I think if you're not aware of sort of Twitter outrage culture, I think you might find a lot of this just quite perplexing. There's a lot of name-dropping of, you know, concepts such as gaslighting. Characters are accusing each other of gaslighting them. Mm -hmm. uh, someone calls someone a psychopath at one point. To Toxic. The retort is, oh, don't use ableist language. There's a lot of mocking of the kind of faux, woke, outrage culture that we see today. That said, it is a very fun movie. I really enjoyed it. I'm definitely more with Vicky. I used to play a lot of these kind of social deduction games, werewolf, mafia, resistance, whatever you want to call it. 
And the scene where they're playing the game before all the chaos starts, I found that to be really well observed, the sort of frustrations and how these kind of games do tend to end with hurt feelings and someone storming off in a huff, because how can you possibly not see that I'm telling the truth? Yeah, this movie's a lot of fun. I think Lee Pace was fantastic. For me, he was the standout. I think he's a really underrated presence. That's very good. He was great in The Fall from many years ago, Halt and Catch Fire TV show, and he brings a real energy as a, a non-20-something mm. to this Gen Z party. For me, great movie, a lot of fun. Um, films usually... Um uh, films trying to encapsulate a generation uh, tend to go one of two ways. The, you either have your breakfast clubs, which become timeless, or you have your She's All That, which maybe become a little dated after a couple of weeks. Um, where do we think this falls? Uh, I honestly don't know how I'm going to react to seeing this film in maybe 15 years or so, because it's so present to what this day and age is. Yeah. Um, like Matt was saying, the the language used, um, it's hilarious to hear in the film, but it's like it's real life, and it's of the social mo- moment at the time. If we talk about Do Revenge, that's probably going to age well because it's not Mm. so in your face about it. Well, this is a film developed for our time. It's meant to be thrown in your face and it's meant to be hilarious in the way that they conduct it. And um, like there's so many disparities within this film. You've got the wealth and disparity between a few of the characters Mm. um, made really present. You've got the... um, uh, you've got the the age disparity with Lee Pace. He really does stick out, and Pete Davidson makes a scene of like pointing that out throughout it. And um, a lot of the characters as well, like they each want to build. They want to be the most person to stand out with their issues and their things. And it is just such a jarring experience. But I would live through it again, absolutely. Well, it's it's we've had see how they run earlier in the show, which is a meta murder mystery now we've got a meta slasher um were we more satisfied with the reveal of the killer in this oh absolutely i mean i I was gonna hope to make that comparison with see how they run i said earlier how i felt with see how they run you could roll a dice and pick whichever character you wanted with this the central mystery i think if you're paying attention you can figure out where it's going but that doesn't mean it's not satisfying and it is completely consistent with the story that's trying to tell I really enjoyed, even though I did guess where it was going, I still really enjoyed seeing it happen. And these characters are all horrible and they deserve it all. Mm. Well, on that note, if I may say, I do th- I do think that we should have... Put, I, look, if, I, if we're going to um, analyse it now, I would say it needs more character development and probably less characters, if I'm honest. Like, I think there's probably about two possibly three no, no maybe two characters extra than it should have had i think um i feel like those two extra characters are definitely there to show the the how fast everything's turning like yeah. how fast this is developing and if you didn't have those bodies to spare then it wouldn't have became so like potent of this like the actual situation they're yeah, all like, experiencing I, I think that's a, a yeah. key thing with the genre you need enough people where to people kill. can start yeah. getting killed and there's yeah. still enough people at the end yeah, yeah there we go um, yeah <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I, do, I think this film will hold up because I think it does, even though it's a very topical film, there's enough in it that's objectively good filmmaking. It is witty, it is funny, there is a satisfying reveal. I mean, you've got all the tropes of what a horror film used to be. You've got, you know, the house in the woods, you've got the storm, you've got the no contact, the lights have gone out. They've definitely got the setting correct yeah. so that if you watch a horror film, it is still a horror film. Um, 
but that is probably as much as as standard as it goes mm. for that that kind of horror trope. It's good cinemato- cinematography. It's um it's well it's well run. Um, I don't know. It's I think it's very engaging from the first minute. And most importantly, it's ninety minutes long. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it could have been longer. I'd say. Yeah, as well, well Christmas I might have. Um, Bodies, 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 a certificate 15, and it's screened at all three Cambridge cinemas. Now, we're, uh, we're joining a pair of busketeers. I was in a band once. But things change. I'm finally working on my solo album. Check this out. I could play it live for you. Um, it's not our thing. It's going to be a no from us. I'm trying to practice, man. Ed Screen stars as Vince, a former pop star looking to get back on the billboard in I Used to Be Famous. After a chance run-in with a young neurodiverse musician, Stevie, while busking, uh, Vince thinks he's found a performing partner that will propel him back to the top. Uh, Matt, um, feel-good movies around the top of potentially exploiting vulnerable people is a pretty treacherous rope to tread. How does, the, how does this film one fare? Well, exploiting is a very loaded term. I mean, the connection that Vince and Stevie have is one of genuine respect and admiration. They connect because of the music. It's not a a freak show or a sideshow. Stevie is a genuinely talented drummer, and the performance by Leo Long, he must have a lot of musical training uh, to have pulled it off. So, yeah, I I wouldn't say that it's a real exploitative movie. It is just a, a genuine feel-good, relationship-focused buddy movie with these two people who are very different, but they have this one thing in common that brings out the best in one another. And, you know, there's no surprises about where this movie goes, but that doesn't mean it's not fun to see it go there. I had a great time with this movie. I wish Netflix would make more movies like this. You Mm. could probably make ten movies like this for every Grey Man or Red Notice or Triple Frontier or Bright... Uh, yeah, this is what Netflix should be doing. Leave mm. the big budget stuff to the to the cine- cinemas. That's more than fair. Uh, Spence, how how is the chemistry between the two stars, uh, Stevie and Vince? Okay, so uh, I I want to agree with Matt. By the way, before we, before I before I go into that, I I I, I it's such a lovely, well intentioned film, and I felt there was a bit of BBC sort of um, student film vibes. Mm borderline student that's harsh sorry but uh, you you were asking me something uh, so how was the chemistry between the two leads between Stevie Very good. and Vince well it was good it was good um, was it amazing no but it was it was fine you know did the job was, uh, the, was the music good because there's a lot of original songs written for the pair of them to perform and then there's also lots yeah. of non-diegetic music did the music and the sound design kind of help lift the, lift the movie along yes I, I want to be kind to, I want to be for this film because you could you, see there's a lot of well-intentioned people behind it and and it was and it was quite a, a lovely story um just on a side note um uh, Ed Skerin 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 Screen, screen? Ed Screen did you guys notice that he had about 1500 Tom Hardy mannerisms 
is that just me? Did I? Is it me that noticed that? But I didn't get. I always get a bit of Nick Holt. Well, if you watched screen. it again, you'd see. And <laughs> it's. But he. But he was good. He was. He was fine. He was fine. Um, but do I think Netflix should make more of these films? I'm sorry, Matt. I love you, and I agree with everything you say. But not that. I'm sorry. I mean, it wasn't a perfect film by any stretch, but. There's a lot of stuff to enjoy. I really enjoyed the music. I thought it was quite a sensory experience with all the drumming and how that mixes with the sort of synth music that Vince is bringing. For me, the criticism comes with the ending. I feel like there's a very tried and true route that a movie like this should take. <laughs> it needs to start off, they get to know each other, they have some good times, have some bad times, have some good times again and a big finale. And I was getting to the sort of final ten minutes and I was thinking, there isn't really time for that big satisfying payoff. <laughs> and that did, for me, feel rushed. They didn't wrap up the plot threads adequately. But, you know, that's fine. Like, this movie is good. If you want a feel-good movie, if you like listening listen to the music in the trailer if you like that sort of inoffensive synth drummy stuff then you will probably enjoy but matt did you watch it from beginning to end without pausing and did you at all feel bored by it oh, i liked it I, I wasn't bored at all i was engaged didn't check my phone sat there chilling out enjoying the movie laughing at the right pit, bits i thought leo long was fantastic as as the young autistic drummer stevie i um, mean if you like the tv show atypical Mm. with um you know that sort of thing where they're mining the humor from these sort of neurodivergent characters without mocking them and i think it, it did a really good job of straddling that line mm. it's a it's a it's a charming and heartwarming um film in a cruel judgmental world um i'm, I'm aware of the irony of me saying this <laughs> but i i i guess it's my role uh, mm. today no, I think I, I think I, come, I kind of sit between the, the both of you. I think the film it, it's struggling a bit beyond its budgetary means for sure, um, but I think it treads a line. I think it treads it fine, and it was engaging and heartwarming enough. And I agree with Matt. I think I think they should they should invest in more smaller budget films because you never know what one of these films will just break through and become a, a bit of a phenomenon. True. Um, I used to be famous as a, as a certificate fifteen, and it's available to stream on Netflix. And finally, I wish I may, I wish I might, but Disney keep remaking beloved IPs. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the eighth wonder of the world. And I was real, boy. <laughs> Turn around, let me get a look at you. I will be right here when you get back. Pinocchio is running. Robert Zemeckis brings his eye for advancing technologies to this live action computer animated mix of a remake to the beloved Disney classic Pinocchio. Tom Hanks stars as Geppetto, the toy maker who builds a boy out of wood who, with a little help from the Blue Fairy, wakes up and dreams of becoming a real boy. Um, the story of Pinocchio, uh, it's endured many centuries, Luke, um, and it's endured many more film iterations of varying quality and success. Um, we just had one by Matteo Garone a couple of years ago. We, we got one from Guillermo del Toro coming up. Um, what was the purpose of this remake? 
I mean, that that is the question that I'm still asking now. Um, I guess, I mean, this is just the latest in the line of these live action slash um, animation combination films. Like, well, we've done we've done all the other ones. Now now we're doing Pinocchio, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, Robert Zemeckis loves his uh, technical gadgetry, and it seemed like a fun excuse for him to make a film that was almost as weird as Polar Express. Mm. Spencer, does this one stray too far into the the Disney vault? Is this too precious to remake? Do we think? Yes, I I, I do, I do. Do you know what? It's like a it's like a robot watched the old Pinocchio and put together the most nerfed version of Pinocchio for overprotective Karen mums. Um, it's like orange juice versus Sunny Delight with less sugar. I mm. didn't enjoy it, and I thought that. Um, I, I after I saw it, I was very disappointed, and I went back to rewatch the old Pinocchio uh, this morning, actually. And I I thought to myself, why can't we go back and watch for the first time the original films if they are that good? It, sorry, to, sorry to waffle. No, but no. It, it did feel like Zemeckis, who was the director in this film, called up his mate Tom Hanks from what were they in uh, Cast Away and yeah. Yeah, um, and he said, "Dude, how about coming into this studio for a week and help a brother out? Because I'm going to be bored, and I'll pay you millions of dollars for it. So how about that?" And and he and you know he he came. He did look like what was the name of his character again? Geppetto. 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 Yeah, it looked a lot like him, and um, you know he did the job. And I was just a bit disappointed, like a lot of people. Five point two on IMDb. It's very low. I think. Um well, it's it's kind of frustrating because you say you you feel like Robert Zemeckis asked Tom Hanks to do him a favor and come in for a day, but Robert Zemeckis, he's he's one of those like John Favreau where he does have a passion, a penchant for this technology and evolving storytelling mm. and mixing live action CGI um, and animation. Um, Matt, the the original Pinocchio is uh, is kind of along the same lines as uh, the original like Disney Robin Hood where. It, it's adapted from a series of short stories, and so there's not really a narrative through line. But obviously, this is a movie, and it needs to have a narrative through line. Does Zemeckis pull that off? I would say no, in a big way. I'm not as familiar with the original. I must have seen it when I was little, but I haven't certainly haven't seen it recently. And I was w- watching this with my wife, who is more of a fan of Disney, and I was sort of saying. What is going on here? Like, why is this happening now? And what has this got to do with anything we've seen before? When is the talking fox in the top hat going to come back? Mm. And then she just said to me, oh, wait till the whale turns up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it does. And they're calling it Monstro. And it's like, well, when was this established? Why is any of this happening? I really struggled to... Uh, link together any of the sort of individual bits of it into a a, a sort of cohesive whole. Yeah, That's not necessarily a fault of Zemeckis or this film as far as I'm aware. This is just what the the story of Pinocchio and the story of Pinocchio is just weird. I mean, Mm. I think because in the classic Disney animation there was a lot more um, panache to it where you sort of get away with this idea of a marionette that comes to life and he has a cricket as a friend and mm. there's a seagull and there's little boys that turn into donkeys it seems to make a lot more sense when it's yeah. a cartoon mm. yeah, it's when true. it becomes live action you begin to realise this is all ridiculous Yeah, it's all too weird I mean why make it as a live action film 
filming it in live action sort of makes you think, okay, this is kind of the real world, and then all of the weirdness and oddness of it really contrasts badly with the few actual people that are in it. Mm. It's, it's, it's as though that they've got funding of it to, to do it and not actually trialled it. They've not done like a, a small little pilot scene to say, oh, oh God, this really does not work. This live action thing doesn't work. Yeah. No, they've just uh, spent the money. They've got all these huge actors, huge actors in this and spent a lot of money. You can see that. Well, speaking of it, it is quite episodic and each each kind of episode has its own uh, side character. Do any of those actors, we've got Cynthia Revo, Luke Evans, um, the fellow played Stromboli, uh, do any of them kind of stand out in a good way at all? I, I thought Keegan-Michael Key potentially mm. gets away with it a bit more than anyone else. Uh, he did provide the one sort of laugh-out-loud line for me in, in a genuine sense where I was laughing with the film rather than at it <laughs> when Pinocchio is ludicrously kicked out of the school for being a wooden boy. So the teacher's saying, oh, we don't teach wooden boys here. Okay, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> and Keegan-Michael Key's Fox character says to Pinocchio, ah, the school teacher doesn't know what he's doing. Is his curriculum even child-led? Um, and my wife and I are both teachers, so we had a good cackle at that. Other than that, though, there's not really much here to like. I thought that the dialogue was quite creaky. I mean, Tom Hanks makes a joke about a clock talking too much, and then he even has to explain, oh, you know, like TikTok, because oh, it's just such a poor joke. I mean, a, a character says to Pinocchio, you have my condolences, and Pinocchio says, oh, do you want them back? It's like, oh, this is just bad. Mm. Just to, I was going to say, um, the Jiminy Cricket um, voice played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think it was pretty good. Because I saw the, 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 the old version recently. That he, he, he's quite close to the original Jim, Jiminy Cricket. But well, I think we were kind of talking about this before the show. Is there, is there any much point having a name actor do just uh, an impression? No, like no, he doesn't bring, He doesn't really bring anything new. No. Um, there's, in terms of bringing new things, there's a few story changes, I guess, to justify doing any kind of remake. The most notable one for me was Geppetto is no longer just an old man who wants a son, so he builds one. He His family is passed, and he wants uh, his dead son back to mm. life. And it's, it's implied that, to a certain extent, the spirit of the dead son has gone into Pinocchio, which I found just bizarre. How did yeah. you guys feel? Did that completely change the context of the movie? Pretty much, pretty much. Um, related to what you just said, um, do you guys remember the scene where um, Pinocchio's in the cage and he has to lie to get the key? Yeah. Now, in the original, that's that just doesn't happen. It's the fairy that says, hey, look, you need some help? I'm going to help you out. And that's there's a different... I, it's almost like teaching children, oh, if you want something, you just have to lie. You just have to lie well and then, you, you know, you mm. get what you want. I yeah, think you're probably reading too much into a, an otherwise preposterous scene in yeah. a film filled with them. I don't it think is. many people are going to see it in either way. True. Um, Fingers crossed. The uh, I I, I rewatched Pinocchio a few years ago, the original, and the, the animation still makes my jaw drop. And like we said, Robert Zemeckis is a fan of kind of furthering this technology. Was the animation at least good? The CGI technology did it look believable? I think on a technical level, yes, but it didn't really add up to much. It's all very well and good having a technically proficient animation, but if it doesn't feel consistent with 
the actual real life people who are in the scene, that's a big problem. Mm. Uh, for me, in terms of animation wise, I did find the sequence where Pinocchio goes to Pleasure Island quite visually interesting mm. in, in a similar kind of way to Speed Racer, that Wachowski movie from many years ago. Mm. But other than that, wasn't a big fan of the animation either. Well, Pinocchio certificate PG and it's streaming on Disney+. Plus. With Heavy Heart, that's all the time we have for today. Please do join us on October 1st where we'll be tagging along with Leslie Manville as Mrs. Harris goes to Paris uh, and diving into the much talked about Don't Worry Darling. I can't, work, I can't wait for that discussion. Uh, for now, however, it's goodbye from our critics and goodbye from me. Here to play us out is Martha Reeves and the Vandellas because much like the killer in See How They Run, there is nowhere to run. You're tuned to Cambridge 105 Radio.